Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Tom Lucy Plus One, the podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm Tom Lucy. I'm a comedian. 
and uh, this is a show where I chat to different people from the world of entertainment and uh, this week I'm talking to one of my best friends really in in and out of the industry it's uh, Shappy Corsandi. Shappy is um, amazing comedian and writer and uh, and I've known her for years where I, I one of the first tour that I ever did I supported Shappy on tour when I was about 18 or 19 years old we went all over the country for four or five months together and I think she's amazing and uh, we uh, recently sat down in her kitchen and had a chat a really sort of revealing frank conversation which I think is uh, you're going to really enjoy so uh, here we go without any further ado this is the amazing Shappy Corsandi. Do things and it's, it's, it's odd that most people your age aren't like that. You must know that. I know. Thank you. It's I, yeah. I do. I do. Uh, yeah, I do hear that a lot. Yeah. But I'm I'm the same with you. I don't think of you as my very young friend. Like I don't hang out with any old twenty-one year old, no. early twenties. I've got a few friends. You met Taylor. Yeah. Because I remember when I was. 20-something, and some of my friends had older friends, or they had, like, some of the lecturers at uni were their actual mates. I was like, oh, my God, it's amazing, your friend's 30. Yeah. That's amazing. Because <laughs> um, perhaps I was emotionally less mature. I think that helps, being... Just still being... Um, still being baffled by things, and still throwing yourself into situations of high risk. Yeah, yeah, I think is is a way to stay young, whether that's work or relationships or yeah. friendships or just do you know just put yourself in jeopardy, and and trust that things will work out. I think is quite a youthful thing. Being impulsive, yeah, keeps you young. Impulsive and irresponsible. <laughs> I think I, do, I think there's also like an element of uh, like maintaining your sort of curiosity about things. Yeah, like you would like sort of genuinely interested in a lot of things and you want to know about I think when people when you lose I feel like when you when you lose that that's when you sort of become really close-minded and older and that yeah and, and you stop wanting to know things and, and you see that happening to people in their late 20s sometimes yeah they go okay I've learned everything I want to learn thank yeah, you very much exactly yeah I've, I've figured out what what shape my world yeah is going to be and that's me done thank you and everything else is wacky now yeah that happens Thank <laughs> Did that happen to a lot of your friends? Who yeah, you've grown up yeah, yeah, you do. And then, and then you see them. Like, I'm really excited about Friday. It's my birthday, and I've got a show in Winchester, and that's where I went to university. And and I see, um, I see the people from university, and I see still the twenty year olds in them. Yeah. And that's kind of fun, and that's nice, and that's kind of the reason why they're coming to uni they come into this sort of reunion because I live my life like that every day yeah. but I think for some people they do get locked in an adult life and then you you see 
them come out of themselves mm. and shed that yeah. a bit and be um, a bit more honest with you. And yeah. that's the thing that goes, honesty. We grow up and somehow we, we build, you know, we build our families, we build our, you know, work personas. Um, and then sometimes people are taken aback when they're reminded of, yeah. you know, when they used to be more open and more honest and risk-taking and... Yeah. And make allow like made themselves more vulnerable. I think that's the thing when people are grown ups or mm. they they are behaving like grown ups. All they're doing is hiding their vulnerability. <laughs> Whereas I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> but it's weird because I think because it's I think it's slightly easier if you're in an industry like we are where your job is kind of to have fun. So you don't you never lose that sense of having fun because that is. But for, people who I don't know go into finance or you could very easily lose all sense of fun or I think we sort of I, I, I feel like I take it for granted a bit how fun this job is I never take it for granted yeah because um I made a promise to myself when I promised I made a promise when I was 10 I decided that no childhood is the best place to be in because you get to play yeah and I swore that whatever happened I would get paid to play and I would never forget what it's like to be a kid now I don't mean like wetting yourself and being a twat not that I'm saying all kids are twats but you you know what I mean yeah I don't mean miss you know um all, all of that stuff but I just mean being able to be free and say the first thing that comes into your head and to have fun and to live every single day differently to the day before mm. which is what kids do they're so in the present yeah if I try and talk to my five-year-old about yesterday she's like she's she's got no time for yesterday <laughs> yeah what are you even talking about yesterday for with here's what's what's happening right now yeah and it's a battle to hang on to that feeling you know it takes a lot of um um resistance against uh conformity i'm yeah. lucky because my family aren't conventional like no, I, no. <laughs> I talk to my dad or my brother and and my mum and you know I, I can talk to them about mad th- do you know the other day i found out that an old family friend of ours he's in his 60s now she is in her 60s now and she has transitioned um to a, a new, you know, an identity that right. um, is her true self, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I said to my parents, "What? You, what? She's become a man." We we knew her as a man, but oh, now she's a woman. Well, she's always been a woman. I see. You've got sorry. to be very careful sorry. about your sorry. language sorry. here, Tom. Sorry. I can't believe sorry. I'm all right on the new one. Sorry. sorry. Okay. Yes, yeah, so she has. <laughs> Listen, I think, do you know what I think about the trans thing? I yeah. think it's perfectly okay yeah. to stumble around in the dark for a bit yeah. with your language. <laughs> because we can't, we, we don't all come out and go, yes, I know exactly. No one tells you what the right phrasing is. I know. And, and, and you just kind of think, I, I, need, I need people to take it for granted that I'm not yeah. out to upset anyone. So if I accidentally say he or say the wrong thing, please don't troll me <laughs> on Twitter. I am learning. As we all do with everything. Jesus, you know, when I was a kid, we, used to, you know, they, you know, we used to say half cast, 
That's oh, yeah, mental yeah. saying half cocked. Can you imagine? <laughs> I still have members of my family that say things like that. Oh, <laughs> I think I've still got family members. <laughs> But so I told my 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 parents. I told my parents. Oh, do you remember? You know your mate, blah blah. Yeah. I said, oh, um, he's. She is now a woman, and no longer. This person that we knew the name of, expecting <laughs> kind of, kind of telling my parents because, I kind of wanted to see their reaction. Yeah. And my dad said, what. Because he, he knew this guy, like, they, they got married in our house and everything. Yeah. He's now a woman. I was like, yeah. And my dad said, we are understanding so much now. My mum said, poor thing. All those years <laughs> of suffering. Yeah. And thank goodness now. And I was like, who are you people? You're not meant to... You've got incredibly liberal parents for, like... I- is that being liberal though, your or is that your mom sounds very liberal? She's saying poor thing. Yeah, well, my mum read a book in Farsi about um, trans uh, that was written by a trans woman. Yeah, and one of her very close friends is uh, for years is, is trans, and I think that's what led her to this book. So she okay. she read this book <laughs> years ago. Your mum knows about. a lot of trans people. She does, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it might be something to do with your mum? It's making a major. <laughs> Maybe. But no, she read this book and she was like, Shappy, I was crying all the way through. You have no idea what these people go through. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, so I've got parents who are very um they I don't know if it's liberal or moving with the times. They move But you did grow but like you sort of grew up in quite a sort of arty liberal house, didn't you? Oh Bohemian. Yeah. Your dad was a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. And your what was your mum? Uh, florist, but like spiritually, she's a singer. <laughs> singer slash florist. Singer slash florist <laughs> slash teacher. Yeah. In the olden days. Yeah. Um, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> the olden days, when we got school textbooks. Yeah. Um, you had to cover them with wrapping paper. Right. To protect the cover. Did you do that at school? What do you mean? Well, you got a, a textbook, and in order to protect the cover. You covered it in, um, you stuck wrapping paper. Why? To protect the cover. Because it was. The cover is supposed to, isn't the idea of the cover to protect the book? Well, no, because they weren't paperback. They weren't hardback, so paperback. Oh, and right. kids would doodle on them oh, see, and all right. of that. So okay. to protect them for future generations of. I can't believe Alexa's got in on <laughs> Your this. Alexa's going <laughs> Anyway, so then. Because image is everything when you're you yeah. know, at school, yeah. teenager, sadly. People would um, cover it up and cool. You know, the cool kids would get cool wrapping paper. Yeah. The, the kids whose parents were more frugal would wrap it up with like off off um, cuts of newspaper wallpaper. <laughs> the one kid had wood chip <laughs> on her science book. Tin foil. <laughs> yeah. Now the worst thing in the eighties to be accused of was being poor. Yeah. Um, and you'd like you didn't go into Oxfam because. Um, people would mock you for being a tramp and poor. And the irony is I went to a school with lots of kids from really poor backgrounds and it was though it, but you had everyone had to pretend they were they weren't poor. Mm. My dad got my book and he covered it in newspaper. Which yeah. was like, oh my god, you haven't got money for wrapping like paper. The worst of the worst. You tramp, you tramp, you <laughs> tramp. And I just suffered every time I had to hand in my, my notebook. Yeah. 
because everyone thought it was newspaper and I was called a tramp. <laughs> but my dad... Trampy call Sandy. Trampy call Sandy. I mean, he didn't have any money. Fair enough. Yeah. But also, he was like, but this is artistic. Yeah. You know, it is beautiful newspapers. It is the media. It means something. We yeah. learn from news. And, you're, and I'm like, I am... 13 dude just put some <laughs> fucking pink sparkly shit on that and and then like some years later went to some shop and they had wrapping paper glossy wrapping paper in newsprint and yeah. my dad had to bring up you remember <laughs> you thought it was trampy and now people are making money from my idea yeah, I'm like yeah. oh fuck off like we had carrier bags instead of school bags I just well, your dad oh, your dad was really successful wasn't he he was a comedian yeah but poor I mean, so he wasn't well paid, but he was very—he was really famous, wasn't he? Well, it look when when um, as a poet, you don't make much money when you leave the country that you're a poet. Is that a poet <laughs> rather than comedian? I thought. Yeah, yeah, he did stand up much later on. He did okay. stand up when I was an adult, and that was like oh, an okay. accident. Yeah, okay. but he wrote. He did performance once I was twenty. So yeah. Um, that's oh. why if I have a gig that goes badly, I just call myself a poet rather than a comedian. <laughs> Do you really? I'm not actually a comedian, I'm a poet, it's just performance poetry. It's not supposed to be funny. Do you still die on stage? <laughs> I don't, oh god, I don't die. Well, I do die sometimes, but it's not as bad as it used to be. You, I can't imagine bad gigs dying. change, don't they? Yeah. Your definition of a bad gig changes, I think, the longer you. A bad gig at the beginning is like being booed off stage. Yeah. Now it's sort of changed a little bit. Yeah, just you must not die anymore. I don't die like that anymore, only because I've got the experience to acknowledge it and fix yeah. it. And I think that's the trick is to acknowledge it to break the tension. That's all well, it is. I don't know. I I really I'm sort of not sure what the right thing because some people will tell you if you're having a bad gig to to just admit say to the audience that it's going badly and have a laugh about it, mm. and some people will tell you to just acts like you're smashing it because sometimes they don't know that it's going badly and it's mm. only when you mention that it's going badly that they all go oh is it going badly we thought it was quite alright oh really I've heard from loads of different people both of those arguments I don't really know which one to I think it depends on the gig sometimes people know their club they know their audience and yeah. they know they're a bit like po faced and a bit quiet or whatever and they just enjoy they're in, they enjoy it yeah. but they won't laugh yeah. You get that from her. You do you have tour shows that are like that where people are just quite happy to sit back and no, listen? Never. <laughs> no, never. No, I'm not happy if they just sit back and listen. Oh, God, no, there's nothing worse than an audience but you must, listening. If you do, because you tour a lot, you must yeah. sometimes get audiences that are quieter. And... I, um, I, sometimes um, it depends on the day of the week. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, and sometimes if they're. They can be a bit taken aback by rude stuff. Yeah. I get. I feel that sometimes. But it's really good. Since I did I'm a Celebrity, the demographic, um, the size of my audience is the same, but the demographic is more um, working class. Yeah. And it's so much more fun. Yeah. So much more fun. People who, um, you know, have just come for a laugh. Mm. And it's fun. Whereas I think that's, especially because of the work that I did before, stuff that I used to do before, that I thought, oh, I better do this because I'm Iranian, I better talk about that endlessly. I'm yeah. boring myself, witless, let alone anybody else. And 
and some people go, oh, let's let's see what she has to say. I, I love yeah. her opinions on stuff, and I don't. I just want to have a Quite laugh. like a Radio 4 crowd. Yeah, which is great too. Don't yeah. get me wrong, please, Radio 4 crowd, keep coming, <laughs> keep coming. But um, it's, it's, they were, I don't know, do you know Bradley Walsh? Yeah. I love Bradley Walsh. Yeah, he's He's, he's really clever. I've done his show a couple of times on telly, The Chase. He's really clever, really funny, and he gets it, and he gets why he does it, and he's just like really joyous. And, and I, I love. I would love the people that like him to come to come and see me too, <laughs> because yeah, I I think I'm much more um, ridiculous than I'm given credit for, and the way I'm reviewed is all like reviewers always expect me yeah to be to be um, imparting some sort of knowledge yeah yeah and like doing something. Pol- I remember I got a review once and it said I was willfully apolitical. It's like oh you prick. <laughs> It's a comment. It's a sh- <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Willfully apolitical. <laughs> Don't put me in a box. Do you know what I find? Can I go on a rant? Yeah, yeah. Guess so. Right, okay. <laughs> Comedy reviewers. I never talk about, um, like, the industry being too white or anything. The only thing too white mm. and too middle class about the comedy industry is mm. the fucking reviewers yeah. who absolutely can't see past the end of their own nose. Yeah. They know what they like and they like their audience. Like, they don't respect, they don't respect comedy audiences who are not university educated. Mm. Therefore, they don't respect comedians who pull in audiences who aren't yeah. like that. They, yeah. they've, they've sort of created this and I'm so thankful for... Um, uh, social media and YouTube and people pulling in their own audiences because it's sort of it's made reviewers much less important yeah like you know no one really I think comedy reviewers are really like sort of inane and it makes no sense to review a comedy show they haven't worked out how to review either I, no. I don't think they've worked out how to do it and um, do you think they have much uh, because Obviously, like, in the industry and amongst comedians, we all talk about reviews and stuff, but I don't think with the general public no. they've got any influence or... What I find adorable is when friends of mine say, oh, your Edinburgh show got great reviews. I've even heard radio presenters interview me going, oh, you've had rave reviews. Yeah. And all they've read is the publicity blurb that I wrote myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Back once again with her unique to yeah, this acclaimed yes. show. <laughs> um, I got the right hump once about a review, and it wasn't even for me. It was for can I say names? Yeah. Fuck it, right? Okay, I saw a review for Paul Chowdhury. Yeah. Who I have worked with since I was a baby, mm. and I've seen how hard he's worked. How how I've seen how um, he does his thing. He can only be himself. He doesn't. He doesn't try and mould himself into what he feels the yeah. industry wants him to be. He is who he is, right? Yeah. And um, after years of being derided by uh, people, um, critics, he's now doing amazingly. Like, yeah. he sold out Wembley. He's uh, did, like, a million like, um, Apollos in London. He does yeah. two, three, four thousand seater theatres everywhere, right? So I read a review of his show that I was at... Yeah. I was at that show. He took the roof off, right? Yeah. He took the roof off and it got, I think it got one star. Mm. And the review was so blatantly 
snooty mm. about his audience because that particular one was in a predominantly Asian area in London and his audience were predominantly Asian. Yeah. And the reviewer did not count them no. as a legitimate response. Yeah. To it's comedy. not like legitimate success, is yeah, it? Yeah, that's not legitimate success. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've heard people say, oh, but his audience are Asian, aren't they? And these are people who, you know, are left-leaning, yeah. would stand up against hatred at the drop of a hat, yeah. but they can't understand that what they're doing is um, taking away legitimacy of uh, yeah. someone's success because they, their demographic is different. And it's that thing, and, and that is massively built by reviewers, sort of deciding that, no, this is what we yeah. want comedy to be. Anything outside of that, it gets one star. It's, it's also... I. I kind of Sorry, like... I've got to button. The reason I'm going on about critics at the moment is yeah. that last night I had this mad fucking dream that I fell in love with this critic <laughs> that gave Paul Chowdhury a one-star review and right. it really distressed me. This dream, I woke up. I've never been so happy to wake up in my life. So I think that's why it's on my mind. I don't normally obsess about this. Can you keep that in? I don't normally obsess <laughs> about this. It's, it's weird. I, I kind of feel like anything that's... Um, mainstream and successful is not going to be well it's, I, I can't really think of it's very rare that someone is hugely popular and sells out massive places and is also critically acclaimed yeah. it's, those two things don't really go together and, and you, that, who cares and that, that's why you've got to you've got to keep your ego in check do in you read job. your reviews? never not you even don't. the good ones. Do you actually not? I actually don't. Because I, I know really, a lot of people say they no, don't. No, I really... How could you not, though? Because what I... Because, like, in Edinburgh last year, I said at the beginning I wasn't going to read any. And then what they do is they tag you in tweets about it. Oh, I block them. Someone reviewed How me recently. not click on it if they tag no, you? No, because I'm old. Because <laughs> I've learnt not to. I've learnt not to. I can't help it. You can't, but you know what? One day you might. But... Yeah, when um, the hate gets too much. I, <laughs> I, I think... Someone reviewed me recently and added me in, and um, I immediately blocked them because I thought that's the equivalent. Why would I want to put my? I don't know the reviewer. I don't. I don't yeah. respect them. I don't know them. So I've got certain people that I ask to come to, and I know the flaws in my shows. I know the flaws. You know, mm. I um, I know because I know what they're looking for. I know that I don't fit that mold at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Right. So they can't tell me anything I don't know. I know the jokes that I haven't mined enough. I know the jokes that I'd already done for my last show. I know yeah. the jokes that I'm clearly enjoying more than the audience. Um, I know when I'm relying more on, yeah. um, you know, chutzpah than the mechanics. Yeah. I know that. I know that. It's not that. a great word, that chutzpah. It's a great word. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't use it enough. Um, so I block them. Yeah. And I don't look at them... Because I think I've got people who are really honest that I really respect and see a lot of comedy to ask to come and see my shows. Mm. And, and they can tell me, like, that was lame. What the fuck was that? Yeah. And I listen. Yeah. I just don't need to... And that's why you need to keep your ego in check because what they're hurting is your ego and not your self. Yeah. And to separate those two things, I think, is very important in order not to go fucking mental in this industry it's weird I, I remember like doing gigs for I don't know if I should name them but like a really successful comedian and sitting backstage with him and uh, 
and him listening to him fret about some bad review he got like two days ago. And I was like, um, I was just, I was like, why do you care? You like the most successful comedian in the world. Why? Well, you're sitting here fretting about what one man's written in a, and you saw, and it really made me realize like, oh, that 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 never goes away. No matter how successful you become, people are always like hurt by. But then, uh, one person's opinion. But then perhaps. The reason he's so successful yeah. is because he's obsessive about it. Yeah. So you don't become a multimillionaire from comedy without being pretty obsessive about it. And yeah. Not leaving any stone unturned and going over and over your material and yeah. pouring everything like that into it. So it's, it's got to hurt. Yeah. I, I, I actually understand that more than someone at my level freaking I out. I guess because, so, yeah. I guess. I'm, I'm very aware that, particularly as I've got older, and fucking up, particularly since I did I'm a step to get me out of here and looking at my life, just going, what the hell am I chasing? What, what am I chasing? What mm. the fuck am I chasing? And thinking that like my happiness lies in my peace of mind. Because, mm. you know, I've got two kids that I'm raising single-handedly and they are joyous and they are fun and and everything's about making our lives today as happy as possible and so my reading mm. a review that's been a dick to me or snobby or scathing or whatever it's not going to enhance my day in any way yeah and my day being glorious is more important than being considered the best thing ever and i think when you are at the top of your tree people don't want to build you up it's uh, i think in this country we do have in our culture the whole sort of tall poppy syndrome thing yeah of course they're going to tear you down when you're at the top because you're yeah. selling out anyway and that writer has nothing that reviewer has nothing has mm. no voice mm. has no no adoring fans yeah has no one sending you gifts gifts for their children when they have new children like that like when my baby was born, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm really minor success compared to a lot of other people. But the sweetest thing was strangers were sending gifts to my kids yeah. that had been to my show. It's like a princess being born. It was adorable. <laughs> I mean, when I say that, I mean maybe five gifts, but that's no, like, it's still cool though. It was adorable, and that yeah. that's like oh my god, that's like, you've you've just given me love. Yeah. That's what you've given me. You've given me love because you've <laughs> this is I'm gonna get emotional now, but you've 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 I've given you love at my show. Yeah. And you've given me love back and it's all about love. And the critics don't give out love and they don't get love. Yeah. And they're they're sort of sad. I think that's a sad thing. Yeah. And so they attack people because it's their way of feeling like they matter. And there's some critics who really care passionately about comedy and they get it. Mm. Um those are different, but Tell this chap <laughs> not to fret. No. And just enjoy his five million do you, pounds. Do you still, like, now, compared to when you started stand-up, do you enjoy it as much as you did when you started? Or oh, way more. more or I less? never enjoyed it. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? I never enjoyed it. When you started? Oh, I was bored of anxiety. Are you kidding me? It was horrible. Like How old, how old were you when you started? I was 23. Okay. I was 23 when I started and I it was I didn't enjoy like I when I talked to you when we went on tour together and you kept whenever I said um about a gig you'd done you said yeah it was really fun and you use the word fun a lot and I feel so envious <laughs> <laughs> because that's the last way I would have just <laughs> described yeah. it 
describe my gigs. Um, I was awful for such a long time. I, I, I was promising, but <laughs> so erratic because I was, I was a mess. I was like drinking one too to much. And I was one to watch for about 15 years. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was a mess. From like, the age of, like, 23 to about what age? 33. <laughs> right, about 10 years. Yeah. Was that... Were, were you 33 when things started to go well? Yeah. I thought it was way before that. No. Really? I was... Yeah, I was 33. I, I remember 33, I was pregnant. Yeah. Heavily pregnant, and I got the coach to my gig in Bristol because I couldn't afford the train. Yeah. And, I, you know, I didn't get any telly or anything, or any radio, nothing. I did odd, odd, odd bits of telly when they wanted someone to come talk about immigration. I was like the immigrant girl. <laughs> I remember having a really robust argument with, um, oh shit, who is he? Uh, Oliver Letwin? Who's that? Oliver Letwin? Oliver Letwin, Tory. Okay. Anyway. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm meant to be a comedian. I'm having yeah. an argument with someone about immigration on television. This is no good. Yeah. Like Fiona Bruce was there and what the fuck? This is not the direction I want to be going in. And... Um, but then I thought, oh, well, if people want me to do that, maybe I'll do more of that then. Yeah. So I did a lot of sort of that sort of stuff, and I kind of wish I'd had the confidence to just be silly mm. early. I think I hung myself on a hook massively, talking about the Middle East a lot and being Iranian. But when you're young, you do navel-gazer, don't you? You do. Yeah. I, I had genuine identity issues and whatever, whatever. But then I, I, you know this, I went into recovery for addiction. Yeah. In my early 30s. And that's what changed for me. Like, and then, then it became fun. What, what was it that, that happened during that that changed everything? Well, when you are... I, I, it just took my anxiety away. I just regularly spoke to people about my anxiety and my addiction. And it went away. Yeah. And then when that goes, life happens. Yeah. Life happens and every day becomes incredible. When you when you're um, recovering or or you know nicely boring, which is also a good thing. <laughs> so yeah, and then every, everything everything started happening. This is two thousand and six. Everything started happening. It was amazing, amazing, amazing. And I remember hosting this thing in um, one of the parks, and I was hosting comedy club. I was like thirty four, you know, really super confident. And at that age, I can say this now because I'm old, but super hot as well. Like yeah. when I was like in my early thirties, yeah, like, yeah. I think that's the hottest a woman is because. <laughs> um, you're confident and you're self-assured, but you still don't look out of place in a nightclub. Yeah. And that's what I'm enjoying about being 45 on Friday, is that I can go, oh, darling, <laughs> when I was young, I really enjoyed my plump cheeks <laughs> and my swagger. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, and then this woman said to me afterwards, she goes, I just watched you, and I thought, it must be amazing to be her. And I'm thinking, yeah, mate, it is. It's fucking brilliant. It's brilliant. So then I had, I had a lot of fun. And then I had so kids. So most of your like, <laughs> I was, like tired. <laughs> so most of your twenties was sort of filled with anxiety. Yeah. And so I was anxious oh, about everything. Everything, everything. It was horrible. I would like lie awake at night worrying about something I'd said to someone at a party, or yeah, uh, or just getting catastrophically drunk night after night after night. And that's why I'm like, I have no time for self-deprecation. Yeah anymore because I, I did it all I sort of battered myself throughout my 20s <laughs> yeah. and I will never ever do that again and, yeah. um, and so I thoroughly enjoyed my 30s but I was um, in my um, so my, my career was going amazingly and it looked like I so in my 30s it looked like I was really going to become a household name yeah. <gasps> and then my husband left me Yeah. and that was yeah 
That was... At what age? 30? Uh, 30, I was 36 by then. So what, was this just as you, everything was kicking off? Everything. I'd done my first live at the Apollo, I'd smashed it. Yeah. And I was on every every panel show. Yeah. And then after that, after he, he and I broke up, I was um, completely... So my, it wasn't just my heart that broke, my world broke. The whole world changed shape. Yeah. And I didn't know how to navigate it. And I couldn't give a fuck mm. about my career. Mm. I didn't give a shit. I was making loads of money, like loads more than I make now. And I gave it like 10 grand I gave away to an ex-boyfriend. I just mm. frittered money away. Mm. It meant nothing to me. Work meant no. I was on, um, I think I was on 8 out of 10 cats. And my mum watched it. And she said, Shappy, you look like you're on another planet. And I remember Jimmy Carr came to me and asked me something about what they were talking about. And I didn't know what he was talking. I hadn't, I was not in, I was daydreaming. Yeah, yeah. I was daydreaming on cats. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, I'd kill to get on it now. <laughs> I'm not booked on it anymore. I wouldn't kill to get on it now. But yeah. I am very aware that I just stopped getting booked because I would turn up to these things really lacklustre and not know. Because I was just, um, I should have been in a dark room for a few years if I was sent. Did you not take any time off? You just carried on. I can say this now, but I left because I left them. You can edit this out anymore, but I don't think I was managed well. Yeah. I think I think it should have been recognised that I wasn't well. And I hear, I hear about other comics who went through a really bad time and their manager sort of plucked them out and went, "You're not fucking yeah. going out in public." I, yeah. I I think that should have happened to me. I should certainly not have done three live at the Apollos in a row. Mm. I was. Um, Why do you think? I, do you think like the quality wasn't very? The good quality or? was the the quality. The first one was great, but yeah. because comedy is a moving iceberg, the jokes um, are very dated now. Yeah. Because it was like over ten years ago. Yeah. And the other two, um, I don't even remember them. I don't even know my, my jokes that I did in them. I don't want to know. They were the quality was terrible because, um, I wasn't writing. I wasn't present. I was yeah. utterly heartbroken. I was trying to. Um, I I thought I could get my husband back by shouting at him all the time yeah and i was going to court i was having to like yeah um we spent three years in the court process of our divorce and three um, years yeah longer than we were married it's awful and so yeah i would i would say that if look looking back someone should have gone you are not fit for purpose at the moment yeah go to thailand yeah. I don't know. Go to do, go do some chanting somewhere. Go do some yoga. Go to a quiet place yeah. and and just be silent and deal with this. Yeah. And I didn't do that. I. But then you know what? Maybe if they had, I wouldn't have listened. I was. On did you kind of feel? Um, did you kind of feel like you didn't care about your career because you'd achieved everything you wanted to? Like you'd had like a a great few years and you'd achieved a lot. No, I just didn't care about my career because. Um, because I had oh you're going to make me cry I felt that I had lost the chance to have another child yeah as well so that dominated my sure yeah my um, my thoughts and that was more important than anything else and I hadn't achieved everything I wanted to I hadn't even begun yeah but if I had been well and if I had had you know I'm friends with my husband now, but we were we are very different people. Yeah. And if I had chosen, the thing is, I can't regret anything because I've got my my boy, but I wasn't in a place to uh, make the most of all my opportunities. Like mm. I see, p- 
people do now and I think you're bloody amazing because you've got you know you've got everything you've got your balance right you look after your mental health and in when you are kicking off and this career is going well for you you have to look after your mental health yeah you've got to be strong and I know I know comics that when they started to do well they mm. stopped drinking yeah because they needed to be well and present for everything and you see the the um fruits of that it really works being yeah. sober but i was just plunged into booze and all my old addictions came back when i um when my marriage broke up and i i think i i can't really call it a relapse because it went on for about seven years yeah yeah for about seven years i was a raging addict again in my 30s which is kind of sad when i look yeah. back but you know um did you find that um did you find uh success and money and fame and all of that stuff quite sort of toxic. Like, no. Did, no, no, I, I know that you like obviously really enjoyed it, yeah. but did you find it bad for like, you know, your mental health and? No. Because a lot of people find that quite a dif- quite like a difficult mix of. Uh, I don't think I I had enough of it for it to affect my mental health. I was really in the sort of em- like an early stage of. Yeah. Getting somewhere. So I, you know, I'd done Life at the Apollo. I was doing the panel shows. I was selling out Edinburgh, like a big 300-seater room. I was yeah. like, and I think what I thought, I think what I thought was, this is it now. Mm. This is it. This is what I'm going to do. And it's always going to be selling out yeah. Ed- Edinburgh. It's always going to be asked to be the first to be asked to be on panel shows. Yeah. It's always going to be, but it's not. It's yeah. not. You have to... You, ha- you really have to be present for it. And even if you are, you, you know, you have to accept that your face doesn't fit anymore mm. and nobody's owed a living on TV and you have to accept that as well. So it wasn't all like, um, I'm so heartbroken, I'm going to, um, you know, do... What else was it I did? No, it was, it was Cats. It was 8 out of 10 <laughs> Cats where I was just... I hadn't... I remember I had a... Iggle Piggle sticker on my leg. I had one of my kids' stickers. I hadn't even like what in the recording. Yeah. Yeah. I just bent. I thought, oh god, have I got a scab? Look, so I'm scratching my. I'm so detached from what's going yeah, on. Yeah. I'm having a little scratch. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I hit the sticker. I'm like, what? And there's an Iggle Piggle sticker on my leg. I thought, well, I'm on TV. Yeah. And I'm I'm daydreaming and yeah. I'm thinking about. Oh, I can't wait till this finishes because we can drink then. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Or I'd be, I'd sell out a show in Edinburgh, 300 seats, massive, brilliant, great show, the whole run sold out, and I would get halfway through my set and go, oh, fuck, just another half an hour before I can have a drink. Yeah. And it was all about getting off stage and going rampaging around Edinburgh. Yeah. That part of it, partying, drinking, was far more important to me um, than the hour... I put more energy into that than I did the hour that I was on stage. Isn't that sad? Do you think that sort of looking back now was sort of held you back at all? Yeah, massively. Because yeah. um massively. Some people can do both. I couldn't. But it hasn't held you back, you know, that much because you're still doing really well and successful. And oh god, yeah, I do. Now. But it's 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 kind of weird because the last three Edinburgh's that I've done I've really worked hard on the shows. Yeah. And when you think I've done about 13, that's pretty poor. 
I used to just turn up and go, guys, <laughs> let's just have a laugh for an yeah, hour and I'm going to drink it's three... It's enough to just see me. Well, no, I'd go like, like I'm going to drink three beers on stage because I feel like I'm being rock and roll and I'm being punk. Yeah. And I can't believe these comedians that, that take themselves so seriously. Yeah. And I'd get drunk during shows and think I was way funnier than I was. I kind of think I don't know obviously I wasn't around back then but it feels like you would have been at primary school (laughs) yeah but it it feels like comedy is maybe a bit more serious now than it used to be and people I don't know if it's a money thing it must be a money thing there's just more money involved people come into it with a lot more focus and a lot more um, sort of career they have people have career plans my sort of contemporaries and no one's really fucking around. And the people who are very quickly disappear. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think possibly back when you were starting, you could you could fuck around and be the biggest comedian. You can't really anymore no. because those people just... It's become mainstream now. The fall whole... by the, the wayside, those people. Yeah, it's... Um, that's why I remember seeing um, Sean Walsh and really loving him because amongst a sea of younger comics, yeah. he was the one that was the same as my generation. Yeah. Like, he was... He couldn't be anything other than a stand-up. Like, even if he got no money... Yeah, he'd still be a stand-up. He'd still be a stand-up. Yeah. Whereas I think some of the others have options. But when I was a stand-up, like, I would not... Do, there's nothing in the world other than stand-up for me. Like, there's nothing I wanted to do. Yeah. Nothing I could do. Um, and, and you used to come up through the clubs, but now you come up through TV and radio. Yeah. You know, um, and that's the difference. And when I did it, even even when I did it, because it start, I remember Jimmy Carr was the one that was the first comic that I met that was so businesslike about it. And, yeah. you know, Jimmy Carr and his famous Filofax. Yeah. Because Filofax was very sort of <laughs> 90s and he would carry it around was everywhere. Was that like a well-known thing? Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Carlin's Filofax was a very well-known thing. And he would be so meticulous um, and make little notes every single time he was on stage. He'd make notes about what he did. He, he wrote jokes, I remember, for a, for a student sort of radio station thing um, to get the practice in. And I remember once he sort of was talking to me backstage going on about how well this is a recession proof business I was like oh Jesus this is I didn't even think of it like that I'm happy for the, yeah. you know if I get a tenner tonight because I mean I can get a kebab on the way home yeah and so he was really busy and I remember once he said to somebody um Shappy would be really good if she had more focus and that really hurt my feelings I was like yeah. Oh God! Someone's seen the fact that I've got no fucking focus, and that, and that was the thing. I remember back then when the in, when the internet was in its infancy, there was a site where people wrote comments about comedians, and someone wrote about me. So by this time, I was about twenty six, saying that um, if she had a better work ethic, she'd be unstoppable. But at the moment, she's just coasting yeah. on personality, yeah. and that really hurt me because I know it's true. Yeah, and that's my worst flaw is my focus. I've got no focus. Not anymore, though. No, I've changed. Yeah. I know. I know. Now it's different. It's different. So. Is, it, is it completely different now? Completely different. Completely different. And that's why I feel like the glorious thing about our job is that you can always feel new. Mm. You know what we're talking about being youthful? In, in stand-up comedy, you never feel 
um, sluggish about it because at any point you can change yourself, you can turn things around for yourself, you can explore you can explore a whole new persona for yourself if you wanted to and yeah. areas to talk about and emotions to to bring to your act. Yeah. And so you never you always feel new and that's what makes me think I can there's never a time when I'll not do stand up because even if you sort of have like breaks from it you'll always come back to it. I'll go mad if I don't do yeah. it for a while. Do, do you do that? Yeah, I, I feel really I get a really feel really weird if I don't gig for I don't know a week. Yeah, yeah. A week is a long time. Yeah, it's like um the 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 lid coming off a pressure cooker. Yeah, and then I feel yeah, it's like just having to release a valve. Yeah, like yeah. Bloodletting. Yeah. Oh, I feel much better now. I know that's it's a disease, mad, isn't it? It's a disease. I think I think that is why people like like tour until they until they die. Yeah. They just can't stop. I don't want to do that. That's that's what I found out. That's what I properly accepted when I um, was on I'm a Celebrity. Yeah. I feel really silly saying what I learned. But I did because yeah. I, had no, I had no phone or internet for three weeks. I, um, I couldn't see or speak to not just my family but anyone, any of my friends yeah. or anyone that understood me or anyone that was able to have any kind of nuanced conversation. Yeah. Um, you, and then you look at your life and you just think, oh my fucking God, it's so brilliant. It's so precious. Yeah. It's so much fun. What on earth was I afraid of? Yeah. And so when I look back at my 20s and my 30s, it was utter fear. And perhaps it was fear of success. Perhaps that is it. Perhaps yeah. it's like when I, you know yourself, comedians who are really successful, it's, you have to work so hard and be so obsessive about it to stay there. Mm. you know to spin all those plates you have to remain at the top of your game all the time yeah um and there's a cost to that i think and, and i think the cost is the cost is um time with your kids freedom yeah yeah but i, I don't think there's any sort of uh shame or i feel like people think there is shame in having huge success and then losing it because mm. It's, it's mad to think you have to stay at the top of your game. <laughs> it's single. exhausting, yeah. But, you know, footballers and tennis players have an amazing five years. Yeah. And then, of course, of course they get... It goes down a yeah. bit because things change. and like, But there's nothing weird or wrong about that. Yeah. I think it's really cool when I talk, talk to people in there and they were, like, the biggest comedian in the country in, I don't know, 1994. Yeah. And you talk to them and you know that during that time they were the person in yeah. the industry there's nothing it's not weird or bad or no and also you know you can only introduce yourself to people for the first time once yeah you know so <clears throat> um, it's like with any industry you know not everyone can be Bono yeah. and not any, and not everyone can be Lee Evans yeah you know what I mean but if you've had a bit of it and you've been able to shore yourself up a little bit financially and, and get enough people who like you to carry on seeing you on your tours and yeah. you don't play 2,000 seater venues anymore you play 200 seater venues that's good isn't it yeah that's why do you know I've got this I'm going to whisper this because <laughs> I've got this real pet hate this not pet hate but I feel this sadness when comedians um, um, like 
moan. Yeah. That they're not getting this, not getting that, not getting this telly thing. And I'm like, it's not about that though. Yeah. It's about the job. Yeah. And the, the job is the live audience. And sorry, I'm, I keep talking about this epiphany I had. But I've always yeah, no, felt that oh, my, my need to do stand-up is sated by skipping out to Hard Bloody Hard Comedy Club in Chiswick yeah. on a Saturday night and doing a, a 20 minutes. That is, that's the injection of excitement that I need. Yeah. And everything else is ego and everything else is comparing yourself to other people. But at the core of it is, is that, oh, honestly, I, if I go out of my house of an evening, go into a comedy club that I love, knowing that there's going to be comics there that I'm friends with, yeah. I still get that real excitement. Yeah. And I feel like um, exactly the same as when I was in my 20s and did that. You know Minus what? The fear, though. Do you know what? I'm, I'm being <laughs> disingenuous. When, when I was in my 20s, I, things, I look back on all that time now, and I think a lot of people who have been through recovery do this. And it's a bit like being born again. Have you ever met anyone who's like a born again Christian? Yeah. And they make their life out before they found God to be so full of sin yeah. that actually it was probably just normal. Yeah. And I think I do the same thing about my 20s because I did have an enormous amount of fun yeah. as well. But now that I'm in recovery and I take my work a lot more seriously and I take the fact that people pay and come and see me really seriously like yeah. I can't even begin to tell you how seriously I take that so I want them to have the best time possible yeah um, so I did have fun but I didn't have that clarity then I guess god can you edit this out to make me sound less like a knob <laughs> that's great it's great whenever I do podcasts I get really serious and I get yeah, but really pe- people I think you know because people always think that they're sort of going on but it's not that's the whole point and these look like boobs, every single balloon. Yeah, Shappy's table's covered in balloons. Heart-shaped balloons that look like... Tits. Yeah. We should probably wrap it up quite soon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, let's talk about something fun before we wrap it up. Can't just have me talking about, I was an well, addict, well, I well. had a breakdown <laughs> after... I did, after my divorce, I had a breakdown, proper, like, yeah. mental breakdown. And that is not the time to be on live at the <laughs> Apollo. Is, I, can't, I can't even watch. If anyone wants to check out Shappy's <laughs> breakdown, I think it's all on YouTube, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. basically all on YouTube. It's all on YouTube. Yeah. The last live at the Apollo. You look like you're having a breakdown. No. I've watched all those things. Have you? I can't bear it. Yeah. I can't bear it when people watch, watch the last live at the Apollo I did. I was, I was, I was having a proper breakdown. I would have been crying before I went on stage. I, I remember that so clearly. I would cry before that I was on tour as well, selling out everywhere, and I'd weep and weep and weep, dry my tears, put on makeup, go do the show, come off stage and cry again. And my brother used to drive me to my shows because I just cried all the time. Yeah. That's awful, Shepherd. It was awful. Do you know what, as well? I, th- I think... I, th- I don't think I would have listened to anyone if they said, don't do it. Did the people around you know that you were crying all the time? don't think so. Right. No, I, I was quite good at hiding. Surely someone must have been like, you shouldn't be doing this. I don't know. I did a gig at a um, knock, knock to Bag comedy club. Yeah. That's where I first met Sean Walsh. And um, I started crying. <laughs> and he was only like, I don't know, 20 or something. <laughs> 
you're right. I'm going to divorce. And he did this, and he said, I'm crying, and he's like, like, he's not the most sort of demonstrative person no, as yeah. it is. And um, he's like, right, okay. <laughs> I look back right. on that now. I was like, what the fuck? I remember that you were telling me about that tour you did with John Richardson, <gasps> where you would cry all the time and he didn't know how to handle it. Oh, John Richardson. Yeah. <laughs> we did, well, do you know what? We toured together and it's a blur for me because all I did was cry. Yeah. And he would be brilliant and he would come off stage and he'd sit down and he'd write notes about where they like, you know, all the show notes, and I'd just look at him and go, he's working hard in this show, I need, what, what, why, 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 yeah, what nerd? You used to throw things at him. I was like, I don't understand why we're not Steve's going out and getting funny. really, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we're not getting really bladdered right now, God, yeah. I've got to wait for John to finish his fucking notes, and then, and then I, and then I would cry. Yeah. And once, I was in, um, we were in Wales, at, P- at Pontypridd, theatre in Wales backstage and I was crying and crying and he was there just really it's not really fair on him because he's got a fucking show to do you know he's building a career here he's like (laughs) so you're like fucking hell yeah um and then while he was on stage I bought a dog I was so depressed I thought I thought I'm going seriously I thought I'm going to kill myself if I don't buy a dog right I was I was properly like what, online. Well, yeah, I spoke. I mean, I didn't pay for it online. I spoke to this breeder. What, and I, during the show backstage? Yeah, and <laughs> I called my brother, and yeah. I said, and he he understood how I was feeling because my family were all worried that I would kill myself, like it was that bad. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've never God. said that out loud before publicly, but I I wanted to kill myself, but I couldn't because I had a two year old boy. Yeah. And I remember. I thought you were going to say because you had a tour. <laughs> You know what? If I was more, I if I was more ambitious, <laughs> if I was more let me ambitious. just get this Oxford day out of the way. Oh God! Yeah, I wanted to kill myself, and I thought that's awful. I needed an energy because when my son was with his dad, yeah, my house was just full of suicide, yeah. and so I thought I need to get a dog. Otherwise, when my son's with his dad. I might kill myself or my heart might just stop through yeah. pain. I just felt it would stop. And so... Um, so you bought, did you buy a dog? I did get a dog, yeah. Did you? Beautiful doggy. Did it help? Uh, it helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, because dogs, again, they, they, they need you. They keep you in the present. You have to get out of bed if you've got a dog. Yeah. You know. Um, you've got cats now. Cats don't really give a shit, do they? Uh, no, cats are amazing. But I, I really, I, I God, do you know what? I have not revisited these dark years at all. But sorry, this is a bit of like a therapy. It has a bit. Can we do this again another time? Why not? <laughs> no, but, it's been good. But it's yeah. I remember that period when I was at that whole tour with John. I wanted to kill myself. Oh my God! And that's why I got a dog because when when my son was with his dad, I just that's all I did was obsess about suicide. Yeah. And I eventually I went to. Um, I went to the Melbourne Comedy Festival and I verbally told my brother, and he was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know that. We, we all know how that's how you felt because my, my family were right in my face at that time. Like, yeah. No one left me alone. My neighbours were in my, like, I was not left alone in that period. Were you living but, around here? No, I lived in um, sort of Putney Barnsway. Okay. But I had next door neighbours who are now, I'm still close friends with and yeah. they would come and see me all the time. Everyone sort of, looked after me yeah. a lot poor John Richardson even now when I see him it's a bit awkward <laughs> like, 
All right, John, I don't cry anymore. John, John, I don't cry anymore. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. Really bad times. <laughs> it's lovely chatting with you. It's a good conversation. Like. Thank you so much for doing it, though. It's great. Thank you. Do you know I'm not going to be able to listen to this? You're going to put on Twitter that, oh, here's my podcast with Shappy, and I'll block you. <laughs> Like one of those but this is annoying because we have such a laugh together. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Shappy called Sandy. Um, that was great. I love Shappy. She's incredible. So uh, thank you so much to Shappy for coming on. Um, if you're listening, Shappy. Uh, and as always, thank you to everyone who helps making the show. Joel Grove, who produces it. Will Shahada for editing it. And uh, my manager, Rick Hughes, for all your help. Um that's it. We'll be back next week with another guest. We've got some cracking guests in the next few weeks. So um, keep listening. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Give it five stars. Tell your friends. And uh, we will see you next week. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.